When you hear this sermon, you will think that we plan those songs, but we did not. They did not know what I was talking about today. So just a little disclaimer, peek behind the curtain, God does these things for us. We are in a series, this is the last Sunday of the series, about what we would say to our younger selves. And it's funny because this was my idea, partly my idea, um, and I'm terrified to give this sermon now, so... That's what I get for coming up with this idea. Brilliant. Um, So week one, Mark talked about there is more. These are all excellent. You should go back and listen to them. Week two, Ryan talked about live on purpose. Week three, Tom had to switch it up, and he had his young younger self tell him things of look for adventure, let go, be more. Mark came back week four, give God your yes. Apparently his younger self needed to hear more than most of us, because he got to go twice. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Um, This is a picture of about 30 years ago. I was about 30, yes, I'm going to be 60 next year. I was about 30 years old there, and there's a lot I would want to tell her. First of all, not all of your fashion choices are going to stand the test of time. (laughs) I, I don't know if you can tell, but I have giant foam shoulder pads under my shirt, and there was a, a period of years, and anybody remember, I put them under everything. Somehow I thought it made me look thinner when my shoulders were bigger, and I have pleated shorts on, so that is not going to stand the test of time. The other thing I would tell her is there's the, this thing called AOL coming. You're going to have an email. Pick something that makes sense to more than just you, because it's going to stick around for a really long time. The other thing I would tell her is is these sweet little ones and their little sister who's going to come in a few years, they're going to grow up. They're going to be awesome adults and awesome people. So don't worry so much. And I would also tell her, don't worry so much about getting it all right all the time. You see, I I used to think that I I could get all of my behavior right and my thinking right, and my politics right, my theology right, my relationships right, and I could build this like compound of protection, of peace around me that would be impermeable. If I could just figure out the right thinking, the right way to do things, I could build this. We were with um, some family last week, and they have family on the other side that has a part of a compound. So there are people that... uh, kind of buy into the conspiracy theories. And they have land out in Montana with other families, and they've built these houses with generators and food. So if things fall apart, uh, they, they all have jets. Obviously, they have money. But they, fly out, they can fly out there and live out there off the grid and be safe. They have these compounds. And I think she thinks she can build this compound if she just gets it right. But life comes and hard comes and change comes. It's not about getting there and staying there. It's about a journey. This life that we're in with Christ, it's a journey. I think we try so hard to get somewhere and then stay there and hunker down. But we can't. It's a journey. Jesus said to the disciples, come follow me. Come walk with me. Come go through 
stuff with me. Not that you're going to avoid trouble. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He says he's overcome the world, but we're going to walk through the trouble together. Come follow me. Come with me. This is not about getting somewhere. This is about being and going somewhere. Rick Warren, a pastor on California, says transformation is a process. And as life happens, there are tons of ups and downs. It's a journey of discovery. There are moments on mountaintops and there are moments in deep valleys of despair. And some of us don't want the valleys, so we lose the mountains too. We're almost afraid to climb the mountain because we don't want to go in the valley. So we, we find this place that we just want to stay, that feels at peace, that feels safe, that feels like nothing can bother me here. And then life comes. So how am I going to tell her this? By that point, she grew up in, I grew up in the church. I'm speaking of myself in third person now. I grew up in the church. And I think by that point, I'd heard about 3,000 sermons. Because we went to church twice a Sunday, Wednesday night, and then you add in conferences and chapels, and now there's pie. I'm sure I've heard twice that by now. She doesn't want another sermon. She's heard a lot of sermons. And what sermons do for her helps her figure out the right thinking and the right theology and the right behavior so she can create this compound. So we're going to tell her a story. I'm going to tell her a story because she loves stories. I was a literature major. I love story. So I'm going to tell you a story along with her about Elijah. Now we're going to back it up a little bit. Um, so Elijah was a prophet. At that time, the is Israel had divided into north and south kingdoms. Um, there were good kings and bad kings. He was up in Israel in the northern kingdom. And there was a king at that time named Ahab who scripture tells us was the worst king that had ever been up until that point, the most evil. He brought all kinds of idol worship in. He brought, set up altars to Baal, and which involved male and female prostitution as part of it and cutting themselves, and it was a violent, ugly religion, and that's what he brought in, and he married this Jezebel. Now, anytime you hear the word name Jezebel, right? I hope none of you are named Jezebel. But she was evil, and she influenced him, and he influenced Israel, and they were in a really bad place. So God rose up Elijah out of this little tiny town called Tishba and brings him onto the scene. We don't know how old he was or where he came from. He just appears. And he um, said to Ahab, he spoke truth to the power at the time and said, there's a drought going to come until you repent, until the people repent and turn around, there's going to be a drought. And during that time, so, and the drought happened. What Elijah prayed for, what Elijah spoke, happened. Scripture tells us he was a man just like us, but when he prayed for things, God answered what he was praying for. During the time of the three years of the drought, he lives with a widow and their food never runs out. She has oil and flour. And every morning when she wakes up to go make the food for the day, it's, it's replenished. So this Elijah sees miracles. He actually prayed for someone who was raised from the dead. This widow's son died. And so he laid on him three times and prayed for God to raise this boy from the dead. And he came back to life. 
Then it was time for the rain to come back and have a showdown. And Elijah goes to Ahab and says, I want you to bring all your Baal priests. We're going to have a showdown. They build their altar. I'm going to build an altar. They pray that God sends fire down. Build the whole altar. Just don't light it. And if their God sends fire to their altar and my, our doesn't and Jehovah doesn't, then, then you win. So the, the priests, there were hundreds and hundreds of priests of Baal. And all day long, they, they built this altar. And all day long, they prayed to their gods. And part of this is slashing and cutting themselves, trying to appease this God, trying to get his attention. And trying to get him to send fire and nothing happens. And then Elijah builds his altar the way Jehovah would want him to build the altar. And he pours water on it. He builds a trench around it. And he pours so much water on it that it fills up the trench around it. So it's soaking wet. And he prays to God and God sends fire and lights it on fire in front of these hundreds of priests and probably thousands of people. And the people repent. And so Elijah's like, yes, the people have repented. This is it. The country is going to turn around now. They're going to go back to worshiping Jehovah. So he goes back up to the mountain. He says, God, send the rain back. And he has, he has a, a, a guy with him, his helper with him, and he runs back seven times. The rain comes. So as the rain comes, he runs he goes to Ahab and says, you need to head back. The rain's coming. A lot of rain's coming. So God supernaturally allows Elijah to run, catch up with a horse-drawn chariot, surpass it, and run ahead of him into what was the capital of Israel at that time. And I thought, that's a weird story. Why, why did God have him outrun the chariot? Well, apparently that was to show that he was part of Ahab's team. He was supporting the king. When you run ahead of the king, you're supporting him and saying, I'm his man. So now that the God has sent the fire, the rain's coming, the people have repented, he runs ahead of Ahab, he goes into the city. And the next day, he has a, the next day, Ahab goes back and he tells Jezebel what happened. And tells Jezebel, he killed your 450 prophets. And the fire came, and this is what happened. So she curses him. The way it's written, it's a curse. She curses him. Send somebody to tell him, by tomorrow night, you're going to be dead. Now, think about what Elijah's been through. How do you think he reacts? Let's, let's look. He ends up under a broom tree by himself. Down in Judah, he runs from Israel down through Judah under a broom tree. So how did he get from bringing down fire from heaven, outrunning a chariot, to sitting under a broom tree, broom tree wanting to die? 1 Kings 19 tells this story, and this is where we're going to sit. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the 
wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I can't do this too much anymore. This is too much for me. Now, let me just say, we're not going to talk about suicide this morning, but if you've had thoughts where you truly are suicidal and want to die, please tell someone. Please come to us. We would love to pray for you, put you in community, and get you some professional help. Do not go through that alone. But he said, I've had enough. You see, when I built this compound that I thought I was living in, where I thought I was going to stay and I was safe, I had God in there with me too. He doesn't stay in stuff we build very well, does he? Probably about six years ago, someone dear to me found out she was having, sorry, a second miscarriage. And it was on a Friday, and what they said to her was, there's, there's a fertilized egg there, but it doesn't look like it's alive. Um, but it's super early, so we're going to do a second sonogram that Monday. It was, she was only, you know, six weeks or something. It was early. So that night, I literally took out my Bible and put it on the floor. And I stood on my Bible, and I yelled at God. I said, you are the giver of life. You can do this. You can bring this baby back. You can take care of this. I believe everything you've said in this book. I have stood on this book my whole life. And I believe you can do this. And I cried out to God. And she still had the miscarriage. And there in my compound started a fissure. Probably a good six, nine months later, um, I posted on Facebook that uh, my nephew was going to hear N.T. Wright speak, who's a theologian, and who I thought was great. I'd read his books. I know, I know a lot of you have heard of him. So I posted on there, I'm so jealous. I wish I could go hear him, too. He lives out in California, so I couldn't go, obviously. My mom is very, was very conservative Christian, and so was the church she attended, and they have very conservative views, and some of what N.T. Wright taught was different than what she taught. And she had, had, had a, like, 94 years old is on Facebook, was on Facebook at the time, and uh, saw this post asked who N.T. Wright was, asked another family member, and this got really mad. She hadn't called me on Sunday like she normally does, so I called her. Mom, what's up? I literally had the phone out here. She was screaming at me, laying into me that I was no longer a Christian, that I no longer believed in Jesus. My whole family was worried about me. How could you do this? And another fissure in my, in my compound started to break open. And then uh, maybe six months later, um, my mom had a psychotic breakdown. We still don't know why it happened. 
She ended up in the psych ward. She was seeing things, um, thought she was on a train, just completely bro broken. And she was in California, so I couldn't really like go, but she would call me. She, she knew enough to call me. She knew who I was, knew where all the kids were, but would tell me all these things she was seeing. And then not long after that, that person that um, had the miscarriage had, had a baby, which was great, but this baby was born early and ended up in the NICU. And those two things, my world just crumbled into pieces. Now, not one of those incidents is, is probably huge by itself, except that it was this, this building, like, you, you cannot protect the people you love. You cannot protect yourself. You cannot predict the future. You cannot keep yourself safe. And at the time, I was preaching. I was leading small groups. It wasn't like I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And everything crumbled around me. And I had to get honest, just like Elijah said. He got honest here. He said, I've had enough. This is too much for me. I can't do this anymore. And what I would want to tell myself of 30 years ago, and what I want to tell you is be honest with where you are. What is too much for you right now? Maybe this marriage is too much for me. I can't parent this child anymore. I can't work in this job anymore. I can't be single anymore. I can't be alone anymore. I can't deal with this anxiety anymore. I can't deal with this depression anymore. What is your this? Let me encourage you. Be honest. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, how are you going to be honest with God? We want him to do great things, right? We want him to bring healing and power and love. But if we can't be honest with where we are, he can't speak to us. We're not listening because we don't know where we are. Be honest with him, which is what Elijah did. He sat on the broom tray. I can't do this anymore. So what do you think God's response was? What pops in your head? What kind of voice? Because if it's a sarcastic voice, like, I have done all this for you, and now you can't do any more, excuse me, that's not God's voice. And if you think he's saying, well, that's it, I can't use you anymore, You've, I've shown you my glory, my power, and you're sitting under a tree, I can't use you anymore. If you hear an angry voice, it's not God. If you hear a sarcastic and angry voice, it is not him. Look what he does. He says, then Elijah lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked, baked bread and hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. God sent him an angel to take care of him. He told him to rest. He gave him food. He said, it is too much for you right now. 
God's response to our honesty is loving kindness and grace and mercy. As I sat in this crumbling world around me, at the same time that I was feeling anxious and felt like my body was betraying me because I started having panic attacks, which I'd never been a scared person in my life. But as I got honest, God was able to come and say, let's take care of your body. Maybe you need a nap. Two naps. Maybe you need to eat healthier foods. I, I did end up with, there was stuff going on that I needed to change what I ate. But God's kind of, God, if we're honest with him and say, I can't do this anymore, his response is to come in and say, well, how can I take care of you? Let's, let's take care of your body first because we're body, mind, and soul. And they're so tangled that you can't fix one without the other. So God started with, all right, let's give him a rest. He was up all day. He slaughtered 450 prophets and outran a chariot. Let's take a nap. Let's eat. And the angel appeared and touched him. Sometimes we just need someone to hug us. Sometimes we need to be in community, and God says, let me touch you physically, touch you. Let me care for you that way, too. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he went into the wilderness, part of this journey, because we can't stay stuck here. I think part of the reason Elijah fell apart was he had unmet expectations, which I know was part of my issue. He had done all this for God. He thought this was it. Ahab, Jezebel, everybody's getting saved. Everybody's going to worship God. We're not going to have any more Baal worship anymore. And that's not what happened. And his expectations of what he thought was going to happen weren't met. So what did he do? First, God cares for him. And then God leads him into the desert. And Mount Horeb is actually the same mountain as they believe as Mount Sinai. Anybody? Mount Sinai is where Moses went and where he met God. Do you remember when Moses said, God, I want to see you. And he said, well, you can't see my face. I'll go by you the back of me. And he put him in a rock. Elijah went back there. And they believed that uh, the cave could have been the same, same spot. So what I want to encourage you, be honest. Allow God to minister to your body, to your needs. And then go back to where you know God is. I was to, we were talking to someone yesterday and said, I'm not sure I ever heard God's voice. And I said, well, where do you think you might have heard him before? And we, had, we talked about where that person could have heard God before. I said, go back there. Was, was it when you were running, you heard God? Was it when you were hiking, you heard God? Was, was, was uh, um, getting up in the morning early, was that sacred space for you? Maybe it was a particular like small group, link group you were in, or a friend you were with. Go back there. You might have to wander 40 days through the wilderness to figure this out. 
But go back there. When did I last hear God? When, where do I know his presence is? Might be worship music. Elijah went to where he knew God had been. He knew the story of Moses. He knew God had met Moses there. So God leads him back to where he knows God is. And God shows up and says, why are you here? God doesn't say, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Nor does he say, all right, I'm going to fix it all. He wants to hear Elijah's heart. God wants relationship with you. So when you go back to that sacred place, it's not about going there to get it fixed. It's not about going there to get it right. It's about going there for relationship. This is Mount Sinai. So he's up there in the desert. God says, what are you doing here? Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for you, Lord God Almighty. I've been giving it you all I got. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He's exaggerating a little bit. Because actually, he had already had a conversation with someone named Obadiah, who said he had hidden 100 prophets. We found out later that there's more prophets. He's not all by himself. He just feels alone. And again, does God get mad at him? No. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. King James said, a still, small voice. When Elijah heard this, that, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God had done, he had been in the wind before. That's part of, of Israel's history. He had been in the fire. He had seen fire come down. He had been in the shaking when Moses went up. It talks about the shaking that happened. God had been in those places before. But I think he's showing Elijah two things here. I'm doing something different. I'm doing something new. Can I say God doesn't usually do it again the same way he did it the last time? So we go back to where, where we know he is. We go back to his presence, but he wants to do something new. And he comes to Elijah in a still, small voice. That word there is really a silence. It's like the pause between words. So if, if someone's been dating for a long time and the guy says to her, I have a question for you, and there's this pause, what do you think she thinks he's going to say? Will you marry me? It's that pause. It's that quiet. It's that intimacy, that relationship. God wants Elijah's heart. He wants relationship with him. He wants intimacy. He wants to speak to him. He wants to be with him in the quiet. And and Elijah putting the cloak over means he recognizes this is God. It's a sign of respect that I'm in a holy place. And he goes out. 
You see, when, when things fell apart for me, and I went through what felt like a wilderness, I had to learn that it wasn't about being right. And it wasn't about doing powerful things. And it wasn't about calling down fire from heaven. God wanted relationship with me, one-on-one, in the quiet. And he wanted to go on a journey. He wanted me to go on that journey with him. It's not about getting to a place. It's about relationship. It's about journey. It's about hearing him in the silence. It's about hearing him in the quiet. And after a year of kind of dealing with the physical, I went to counseling to deal with the emotional, which I think part of Elijah's journey, that 40 days through the desert, was alone with his thoughts, figuring out what's going on with me. God started to speak to me. and In the middle of the night, he would wake me up and just give me downloads of words. I think he had cleared out everything around me so that I could hear him. I remember in a counseling session, the counselor pushed back. I said, I think, I feel like God's telling me to do something. And the counselor pushed back and said, are you just substituting God's voice for your mom's voice? I thought, oh, I had to think about that. And I thought, God, am I doing that? Here, I'm asking, and that's like the whole point, but I can't help it. I like had to think about that. And I thought, no, God does, I, I am hearing his voice. He is speaking to me. That stays. That, that hearing God's voice, some of my other theology and thinking and doing can go, but that stays. Because that's about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about hearing from him. So God asked him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah responds with the exact same words. Which is curious to me, and I don't have a good, like, biblical reason for it, but I think, I'm guessing his tone was very, very different than the first time he said it. I'm guessing it was much more intimate, much more humble, less angry. Because I think he's saying, God, okay, here we are. I found you. I've gotten back to where you're speaking to me. I know that you love me. I know that you care me. But in this journey we're on, I still got to go back and deal with Ahab and Jezebel and Israel and what do I do? And it's at this point that God gives him a strategy. God finally answers and gives him, he says, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Japhat, from Abel Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. He gives him a, here's a partner. Here's somebody to pour into. Here's the next prophet. Tom talked about Elisha. Here's somebody to pass this on to. You're not alone. So here's a strategy to deal with the king. Here's a strategy to deal with your ministry. You're not alone. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You're not alone. 7,000 all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God gives him a strategy. So here's how to deal with the power structure. Here's how to deal with your ministry. And here's how to deal with your community. You are not alone. So my question to you this morning, where do you need to be honest? What is your this? What is the this that is too much for you right now? Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. He knows anyway. Sometimes we're the ones that don't know it. It may be even worth going to God and saying, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling depressed. Why? Help me be honest with myself. Shed some light on where I am and why am I stuck. Show me. And where can I be honest? And then lay it before him. There's the the Defender song that Jen sang where it says, You knew where I lost me. That was a song that was dear to me during this last few years. You know where I lost me. You know where I can find me. You take all the pieces and you put them back together in the right way. He knows. Where do you need to move? Where are you stuck? Where are you trying to build a structure that cannot hold God? He's not going to stay in that. Where do you need to start moving with him? He says, come follow me. Let's move. And then where do you need to listen? Do you need to go back somewhere where the last time you heard him? Because if you walk away with nothing else this morning, what I want you to know is you are deeply loved by God. He knows your struggles. He knows where you're getting it wrong. He knows where you where you left yourself. He knows that you feel like you're all in pieces somewhere. He deeply loves you. He wants to care for you. He wants to feed you. He wants to help you sleep. He wants to take you through a wilderness that will change you. And he wants to share his heart with you. Please do not forget that. This is something I'm still learning. Just this week, I had st- I, our air conditioning went out. I hurt my toe. In a separate incident, I hurt my knee. I had to get antibiotics for an infection. All these things started going, and they're all little things. But there was one day, like, I can't. I literally, the words came out of my mouth. I can't do this anymore. And God, immediately, in my heart was, you're doing it again. You're trying to build some magical palace to live in where nothing bad happens. You're doing it again. Take my hand. Follow me. We will walk through this week. I will talk to you. There was a song when I was little we used to sing in church. He walks with me. He talks with me. And the joy there is like nothing anyone's ever known. Take a step out with him. Let's stand as the worship team comes. If you have questions, you can text Mark.
So I just would like you to stand and close your eyes as I pray. And if you're feeling like you're at a place where you can't do this, whatever this is anymore, it's too much for you. If you could just open your hands, face up. Father, I just pray for all those places that feel too much. Those places that feel broken or overwhelming that seem like they can't be fixed ever or healed. Lord, I pray that each person here would feel your touch, would feel your provision, would know your kindness and your love, and would hear your voice. Lord, I just pray that you'll pour out your love into their hearts their minds, their bodies, that you would bring healing, restoration, and redemption. In Jesus' name.